Hi, this is Him We Proclaim with John Fonville. The Psalms encourage God's chosen people to worship with beautiful and familiar phrases such as make a joyful noise, enter his gates with thanksgiving, and give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Today we're looking at another element of historic church liturgy, and that is the call to worship our faithful God who treasures his people. Let's listen now to this message called Make a Joyful Noise. Here's part two. Verse one is a universal call to worship. The psalmist says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. And what does it say? What is the scope? All the earth. All the earth to give thanks. Very interesting because this call to worship extends not just to Israel, who was God's treasured people, but to Gentiles as well. The New Testament church hasn't replaced Israel There's no such thing as replacement theology in the Reformed tradition. That doesn't exist. We haven't replaced Israel. In in Romans 11, 17, Paul says that God grafted the Gentiles into the people of God so that the same commendation given to Israel, a people for my own possession, we have been grafted into that privilege and have the same commendation, you are my privileged possession, special people. Paul is just rejoicing in the work of Jesus, bringing together two groups of people who were hateful to each other. The ministry of reconciliation through the gospel, so that in the church we have one race, one race that is in Christ, And unlike our culture that we live in that wants to divide up races, you are African-American, you are Asian-American, you are Hispanic-American, right? We have people in our church from so many different countries and nationalities, and I love it. You're not in God's family, listen, Asian-American. You're not African-American, You're not Hispanic American. I'm not white man American. I am in Christ, redeemed, one race in the body of Christ, a global church, God's family. That's who I am. He has killed the hostility and the culture that we live in just wars against each other by dividing everybody up. And Peter comes to us and he says, the church is made up of all people groups on the earth. People of every ethnicity, color, and language. And so that, listen, because of that, we are a chosen race. Say that about yourself. Stop identifying yourself by your skin, by your customs, and your earthly cultures. That's not who you are. That's not who I see in this church. I see in this church a chosen race. I see in this church a royal priesthood. I see in this church God's holy nation. I see in this church a people who are God's treasured possession. Welcome to the church. In Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 through 10, all of heaven erupts in praise to God. 
And, and, and all of heaven says, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed a people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Exact same language given to Israel Now the exact same language given to God's people in the church. In the new covenant, the heart of God's promise has come to fulfillment. I will be your God and you shall be my people. And this is what the psalmist is calling us to think about in worship. It is he who made us. He made us his people. We are his. We belong to him. We are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. What is his pasture? It is called the gospel where we graze in it forever to receive grace and mercy and life and nourishment from a God whose heart is filled with grace. This promise is most fully enjoyed as the Lord meets with his people in worship each week. We are called to assemble for worship. And the author of Hebrews reminds us that we do not assemble in the presence of God under the old covenant at Mount Sinai. Listen carefully in Hebrews chapter 12 about how we're called to worship. In Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 18, the author of Hebrews says, We do not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire, in darkness and gloom and a tempest. We do not come to the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. This is at Mount Sinai. This is the giving of the Ten Commandments. It was so scary, God's people said, Moses, you speak to us, but tell God to stop because we can't take this. Verse 20 For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight at the giving of the Ten Commandments that Moses himself said, I tremble with fear. Boy, if that's your experience coming to Paramount, fire me and tell me to go sell cars. So what do we come to when God calls us to worship? Listen to what the author says. We don't come to that. Rather, we have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, listen, And to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, we come to Jesus, who is the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. When we are called by God in the call to worship to gather before him as a holy nation, as a royal race of people redeemed by the blood of Christ, what do we come to? We are God's gathered guests who have come together because God has called us by his gospel. 
We don't come to Mount Sinai and quake in fear. We come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant whose blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Question, what does the blood of Abel speak? What word in Genesis chapter 4 does the blood of Abel speak to us? This is what it speaks. It is crying out to give justice and vengeance. I don't want that word. What word do I want spoken when I'm called and summoned to gather before the king? This is the word. Jesus' blood speaks to me. The author of Hebrews says, atoning death on the cross. It speaks forgiveness, mercy, grace. And when I am called to worship, the psalmist says, come before God each week and realize that the Holy Spirit descends to feed our souls through the means that he's promised to bless, Christ's preached word and his administered sacraments, the visible gospels, where the mediator of the new covenant speaks a better word. By the proclamation of the gospel in the public assembly of God's people, God himself reassures us of his covenant of grace. He tells us what our own hearts cannot tell. That is that his son has satisfied the demands of the Mosaic covenant, the old covenant, and redeemed us from its curse. The Lord comes and gives us his law and he kills us with his law. We confess our sin and then he raises us up again with the gospel and pronounces all is forgiven. By the power of his preached word, he refreshes our souls like the living water that he promises to be, washing over us with good news, giving us life, nourishing us so that Peter says we can grow up into salvation. He causes our hearts to rejoice in his promise of a glorified life in the new heavens and the new earth. He comes to us in worship as he calls, and he calls us to commune with him by feeding us with the very body and blood of Christ in heaven through the power of the Holy Spirit at the table of the Lord. He tells us that the cup of blessing that we partake is a participation. It is a communion with the living Christ. He tells us that the bread that we take is a reception of a feeding of him and our souls nourished to everlasting life. As the Heidelberg Catechism says, that as I receive from the hand of the minister and taste with my mouth the bread and cup of the Lord which are given to me, surely they are tokens pledges, signs of assurance of the body and blood of Christ. And so just as the preached gospel is God's new covenant promise to us, so listen, the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, is his new covenant meal that assures our hearts. And by this, in corporate worship, we're assured of God's promise and pledge that we are his people and he is our God. And then you hear these imperatives. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. How could you but not do that? Let me just finish very quickly. Here's the second point that the psalmist makes. The Lord has made us his people because of who he is. He calls us to worship, 
to give thanks to the Lord, not only for what he has done for us, to make us his special treasured possession, his people, but for who he is. He has done this because of who he is. Let's look at verses four and five very quickly. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise, give thanks to him, bless his name. Why? Why do we do these things? For, because, here's the reason, the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. The psalmist says for three truths about God that gives us reason to give this great thanks and to shout in church. Here's the first one. It's very simple. It'll take just a second. The first, the Lord is good. The Lord is good. Psalm 106, the psalmist says, praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. The Lord, who is the gift giver, what does it mean to be good? It means he's filled with generosity. He's filled with goodness to his people. We learned this truth last week from Luke 5. I don't know what it was about Luke 5 last week in that sermon, but here's the point. When people are awakened to the goodness, generosity of God, they're just overwhelmed by it. We saw it last week with Luke 5 from the fishing incident with Peter. Jesus met Peter's unbelief with lavish generosity, didn't he? He was exceedingly good to Peter. And in the same way, the Lord meets our sin. He meets our unbelief with lavish generosity. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, Jesus speaking of his father. He says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? As a father, I delight in giving good gifts to my kids. I I, I just love doing that. It just makes me happy. And and, and Jesus says, how much more will your father delight in doing that to his children? What good gifts has he given to us? Well, the word gospel means good news. Good. You see that? God is good. The Lord is good. So he gives us good news. The Lord has given good news for sinful man because he is good. Jesus is. And the Holy Spirit are the greatest gifts we could have been given. You've heard it, John 3, 16. God the Father so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That is the greatest gift the Father could give. He gives us the Holy Spirit, who Augustine says is the gift of God's love. He says on the Trinity, there is no gift of God more excellent than this, the gift of the Spirit. Jesus and the Holy Spirit given to us, those are the greatest gifts that the Father could lavishly pour upon us. If you can see Christ this morning, if you can rejoice in the gospel this morning, if you can understand this morning that you are his treasured possession, that is the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a gift. 
J.I. Packer says that the Holy Spirit's distinctive new covenant role is to fulfill what we might call a floodlight ministry in relation to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is the hidden floodlight shining on the Savior. And so if you can see the Savior and his goodness to you this morning, that is the gift of the Holy Spirit. David, in Psalm 25, verse 8, he says, Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. What is the way that he instructs sinners because he's good? He instructs us to the way of life, which is Christ. He leads us to the good news because he is good. And concerning this lavish generosity, this goodness of God, Paul is erupting in praise to God in Ephesians 1, and he just can't help himself. And so he says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us. The generosity, goodness of God. So it's no wonder that David cries out in Psalm 34, verse 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. So we give thanks and we enter with, with great praise in his courts. Why? Because he's good. Second, because the psalmist says, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. These last two truths about God are inseparable. God is good, God is love, and God is faithful. That's what he's saying. These last two truths are inseparable. The source of gratitude, the source of a loud shout to God in worship comes from understanding that the Lord's people are the recipients of the Lord's enduring character, which is steadfast love and faithfulness. What is steadfast love? The steadfast love endures forever. This chesed in, in Hebrew, what is it? It is his covenant mercy. It is his faithfulness. It is, that's why it's inseparable from his faithfulness endures forever. He's, the psalmist is trying to get us to see that God's favor towards us who are sinners is on account of Christ who has fulfilled the covenant of the law that hung over our head. And by fulfilling the law on our behalf, Jesus then hands over to us an inheritance that is free in the covenant of grace. It was work for Jesus. It is gifted an inheritance for us. That's his steadfast love. The Lord keeps his promises to all generations, the psalmist says. He's, he's faithful to all generations, Remember this, remember back in uh, Exodus, Moses, remember, he, he reminded the people, why did the Lord choose you to be his own possession? Because he's being faithful to the promise that he made to the fathers, your fathers. In Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 through 7, the Lord is passing by Moses. And listen to what the Lord proclaims to Moses about who he is. He says, Moses, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression in sin. The Lord is good. The Lord is love. 
And the Lord is faithful. He's filled with covenant faithfulness. He makes a promise and he keeps it forever. And then it is in Jesus that we see the most complete and fullest revelation of the gracious love and faithfulness of God towards sinners. Listen to what Paul says to the church in Corinth. God is faithful. He is faithful. By whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul is reflecting on the second coming of Christ. And some of the believers in the Thessalonian church were afraid that they were going to miss his coming. Or perhaps missed his coming. And Paul prays this prayer. He says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so if any Thessalonian believer was concerned about whether they would be sufficiently holy and blameless when Jesus appears, Paul ends with this word of assurance. He who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. How many of you have ever been scared to death that Jesus is going to come back and there might be a tinge of grief that you might not be ready for it? He who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. We live in a world of broken promises. But the good news is that we have a creator and a redeemer, the psalmist says, who never breaks his promise. He never breaks his promise. Why? Because he is good because he is love and because he is faithful. And that is cause for giving thanks. He's full of assurance of his goodness. He's full of assurance of his love. He's full of assurance of his faithfulness because he sent his only begotten son, Jesus, who is the fullest and most complete revelation of God's goodness, love, and faithfulness to sinners that we've ever seen, right? So as we reflect on this call to worship this morning, let us remember that the triune God each week who calls us to worship, he calls us to assemble together. He calls us as his treasured possession. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. He calls us to assemble before him, not as a judge on Mount Sinai, so that like Moses, we say, I tremble with fear, He calls us as our redeemer on Mount Zion, and he is the gift giver who generously pours out his lavish gifts upon us because he is good, because he is love, and because he is faithful. I like what Calvin says here. He says, if God never ceases to deal with us in this manner, it would argue the basis in gratitude on our part if we wearied in rendering to him the tribute of praise to which he is entitled. Let us never be weary to come to church and go, oh, okay, um, make a joyful noise to the Lord. <sighs> All the earth, we're his people. Mm, I'm so tired, you know. Let us never come like that. Let us never be like that. Let us realize what the Lord has done for us, the psalmist says, and let us realize who the Lord is, which is why he's done it for us. And let us give great thanks. And so listen to this call to worship. 
Make a joyful noise, a joyful shout to the Lord, all the earth, Jew and Gentile. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. Why? Because we are his treasured possession, because he is good, because he is love, and because he is faithful to us forever and ever and ever. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are good. Thank you that your steadfast love endures forever. Thank you that you are faithful to all generations. Thank you that you do this for us. Thank you that you have made us your treasured possession, your people, a holy race, a chosen race, a holy nation, a people for your own possession. These are wonderful, wonderful truths. May we never take them for granted, but always respond with hearts of gratitude and praise. Forgive us for our indifference to all your abundant benefits to us. And well up within our hearts, thanksgiving as you call us to worship. What a privilege it is. We ask this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks, John. That's Make a Joyful Noise, Part 2. We'll hear more from the gift giver in his Gathered Guest series coming up next time. The heart of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. With each message, our prayer is you would hear, believe, and enjoy the gospel in your life. If you want to re-listen to or share any of these messages, you can find our smartphone app or locate our podcast by searching for Dr. John Fonville or Him We Proclaim. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to learn more about his local church in Jacksonville, Florida, you can visit ParamountChurch.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time.